But, uh, John, I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your night, man. No, not a problem. Always, uh, this is the time of night where, you know, the, the little one gets ready for bed and wife's getting ready for bed. And we're going to watch a little uh, Ted Lasso later on. So it's the quiet time now. So 8 <laughs> o'clock is like my peak, uh, peak production for the day. You know, I, I have not watched Ted Lasso yet, and I've heard so many people tweet about I really got to get in on that because I feel like I'm just so behind the curve right now with it. Yeah, I usually am way behind the curve on things like that. And we've just finished season one last night, and he's already one of my all-time favorite TV characters, Ted Lasso <laughs> is. And the show is just so so uplifting. It's awesome. It, it's, it's highly recommended. I yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big character guy. Like the plot can be absolutely horrible, and if it's a good character, I'll, I'm still hooked. I mean, I can't tell you how many seasons of House I've watched just because of of House and Hugh <laughs> Laurie's acting uh, has been phenomenal. Um, but yeah, so John, I guess let's just start with this general impressions of this Penn State Iowa game. I mean, you you covered this beat for a long time, you know, way before my time. Uh, I mean, is this going to be the most highly anticipated game that you know Iowa's had and in, maybe in the Kirk Ferentz era with just how much national attention is in on this? It's an interesting question that I think has many layers and it's not necessarily, I, I think the end result is going to be, yeah, probably is, but th- think about, um, think about the, the place and time back in 2015 mm-hmm. when Iowa was preparing to play against Michigan state. And we knew that the winner of that game was going to go to the college football playoff. Um, was that bigger and more important than the 1985 number one Iowa versus number two Michigan? If somebody wanted to debate me that it is, I wouldn't say it's a silly debate. Now, if you transport yourself back to 1985 and I was 14 years old when that game was going on and it had Mm -hmm. everybody's attention, Iowa was still only five years removed or six seasons from five seasons removed, maybe from 19 consecutive years where they didn't have a winning record. So that was a, I wouldn't say a hello world kind of game because Hayden Fry had done some really nice things. I mean, Rose Bowl in 81, yeah, 82, yeah. 83, 84. You're talking about, you know, uh, a Peach Bowl in there. You're talking about a Freedom Bowl. I mean, they were a ranked team, but it was enormous. Number one versus number two. And at that point in time, there hadn't been a whole lot of number one versus number two. And you had Musburger and Air Parsegian, I think, on the color commentary there. It was enormous, enormous. But the Michigan State game in 2015 was also enormous, very important. And anybody that's listened to me for any amount of time knows that I have this thing that I like to say, and that's advance the brand. When Iowa has had its opportunities in advance the brand games, in my opinion, they've fallen short a number of times. And that's not to say that, Oh, well, John, they beat Ohio State 55 to 24. Yeah, they did. But that was a season that they wound up going, what, eight and five or something like that. I'm talking about when Iowa's at this position in the top 10 and they've got an opportunity against a heavyweight like this. More often than not, they've lost these games. And that's why I have Wisconsin envy, David, because more often than not, at least up until the last few years, Wisconsin has won those games and advance the brand. And I just think it makes things easier and better for recruiting. You're on a national stage and winning this game would be enormous. It would be, it would certainly be one of the top three or four wins uh, since 1960. 
you know, and I think there's a lot of different ways we can go about this. And I, I don't disagree with the 2015 comment. So the way I've kind of, you know, avoided the question to some extent is I would say this is the biggest regular season game inside Kinnick Stadium since 1985. I, I think without a doubt. Um, I, I think obviously if you talk about the 2015 season, we, you know, obviously people know what happened at that ending point. But, you know, I mean, you go, to, you get to the college football playoff if you come away with a win. I mean, I think you still have to just because, like you said, what the implications are at that time. I think that that's going to be a little bit bigger. And you know, I'll say this too. You know, just from, I mean, all the nations. I think the epicenter of college football is going to be in Iowa City, Iowa this weekend. I know the Red River, you know, shootout's going to be a big, big deal with how both those teams are playing right now. But the other aspect of this game, John, is from a trajectory standpoint, like Iowa's won, you know, 11 straight games, 10 of which have been by double digits. The only single digit one was the 26, 20 win over Nebraska. So it's not so much you're changing the trajectory of the program with a win, but I do think that it sends a ripple effect throughout the rest of the country, because I think Kirk Herbstreet said something during his podcast yesterday that I thought was very smart. And I thought it was very accurate. Uh, I tweeted out a little bit earlier, but he said, if you're an SEC fan or big 12, whatever, around the country, and you're like, Iowa, oh, man, they're overrated. Until you get in the ring with them, you want no part of them. Right. I think it's sort of a wake-up call if Iowa does come away with a win. And let's talk about from the recruiting standpoint. Mm -hmm. This is easily, easily the most star-studded recruiting lit visit list since I've covered Iowa. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining that it's been ever been bigger with what the group's coming in. I mean, you have multiple five-star guys coming in. You have Kyler Casper who I think is going to be a top 70 player by the when it's all said and done. I mean, you're talking about a legit six foot five, six foot six, 195 pounder who can probably add another 20 pounds of frame on fast, great high point. I mean, you watch his film and, you know, it's pretty easy to see why Iowa's making him a top target. And obviously they have all the connections in the world there with, you know, Kevin and, and LeVar and Kirk. I mean, it's the same coach that, that Kevin played for. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it really is crazy how many connections Iowa has uh, to this. But, you know, then you got Xavier Nuwankpa, the number one safety in the country. I mean, he, he, you know, Iowa's very much in the recruiting process with him. And you talk about a guy that can come in and, you know, make an immediate impact. And, you know, in the NIL, you know, there might not be a better time for the NIL to take into effect when you look at the talent that, you know, the state of Iowa is churning out. Xavier Nuwankpa, Caden Proctor is going to be a five-star, probably the number one, nation's number one offensive tackle in the 2023 class. I mean, this really is, even just from a, traje like I said, a trajectory standpoint, making a national brand out of yourself. I mean, I think defeating a top, you know, top five Penn State team, I, I think it really does uh, send the ripple effect across college football. And then you look at the rest of that schedule and John, you're thinking, you know, if mm -hmm. they don't make it the Rose Bowl, I mean, that's a disappointment, right. if, especially if they start six and oh. Right. You, you just address the heart of what I mean when I talk about the advance, the brand games. And as you mentioned, and you and Sean do a fantastic job covering uh, recruiting. Um, you guys, it, it's difficult. And, you know, I've told you this privately. It's yeah. difficult to break in to a space as entrenched as the Iowa media community is. Um, and, and you and Sean are actually carving your own way in your own space and you're to be commended for it. I'm a subscriber. Um, so you, you're doing a great job. So yes, the, the Xavier Wampa, that, that would be an enormous get. And I got to admit two or three months ago, I never really, I didn't pay him much attention, nothing personal. I sure. just didn't assume he'd make his way to I Iowa. 
now I'm kind of allowing my, you know, fandom hope to rise because I think that Iowa may get him. And the ability to own the weekend in college football, that just came to my head. How many times has the Iowa football program owned the weekend, the weekend of college football? Think about it. Can, can you can you Ohio name State another 2017? one? But that was a, that. Yeah, Ohio State was ranked third, but Iowa was like, okay, yeah, there are they I even ranked? Yep. They're, they're, I all I all eyes were not. So for for one, you have to be good enough. And you have to have the timing of a really high-ranked opponent as well. And it has to be in Iowa City for the nation, all eyes to be on you. 2006 Ohio State in Kinnick Stadium on September 30th. That's probably the last time it was like this. Again, that's not to take anything away from Iowa beating Michigan. Uh, you know, was that back in – was that 2016, 27? I can't remember the years there. But, you know, on the last second field. That's not to take anything yes. away from the win against – Ohio State 55-24, which we should all have tattooed on a buttocks before we die. <laughs> um, that's just to say the stars seldomly align like this. So do you go back to Kinnick Stadium in 2006 uh, against Ohio State? Before yeah. then, you got to pro- – you probably – I wouldn't even – Maybe it's Miami in the early 90s, but Iowa was a fringe top 25 team. It probably is 1985. So when you consider the opportunity that the eyes of the college football nation at that time slot as well, 3 o'clock, that you have the chance to own the whole weekend and be the team that everybody is talking about, the brand has an opportunity to be advanced unlike, I think, anything since 1985. You know, and, and I do think, you know, I, I wrote a, I, I agree with you on that. And I'll say this, I wrote a column earlier this week after I think I sent it out on Sunday and I, I will go back to this because I think this is a very, very important point that's kind of led Iowa to this point. And, you know, we won't hinge on, you know, what happened, the events that happened last summer, but I will point back to this, John, the game against Michigan state after Iowa started and two is one of the biggest wins in Kirk Ferentz's coaching career at Iowa. Because the way that team rallied around together to go out there and put up a performance like that. Because I've said this, if Iowa starts out 0-3 last year, I think it's a snowball effect. I think there's a lot of really weird stuff that would have went down after. You know, who knows if people opt to transfer, mm-hmm, if people are mm-hmm. still bought into the culture and the bought into the program. But instead of doing that, they've completely buckled down. And not that previous Iowa teams didn't have swagger, not that they weren't close, but, you know, covering this team day to day, I have never seen an Iowa team or a college football program I've covered that is as close as this team is. I mean, they are all about one another. I mean, you see Quinn Schulte, who nearly had the pick six last week. The guys on the bench are going crazier than Quinn himself or anybody on the field. And I think, you know, when guys make big plays, they're happier for one another they're not even thinking about themselves. And I think the way Jack Campbell's emergence as a leader in the heart and soul of Iowa's defense has played a big part. I think Spencer Petras's command of the offense and his vocal leadership, I think that that's been a big part. And I think that there's just, it's such a unique thing for this team. And, you know, I've heard a bunch of coaches from around in any sport. What do they say? It's off the field chemistry and genuine love for one another translates to on the field performance. And again, not that previous teams didn't have it, but it's so apparent that this team has it. And that's why I think that 
if there's ever going to be a moment that Iowa is prepared to take that next step as a program, it's going to be on Saturday. Now, will they make that next step? I don't know that yet. But as far as being prepared to do it and prepared to maybe be able to take that, I think that they're going to be ready. And if they lose Saturday, it's not the end of the world. And it doesn't mean oh, that everything we've just talked about doesn't have merit. And I know you know that. Yep. But, you know, I, I don't think it's unfair to bring up last year and what transpired in May and June, the resulting um, firing of Chris Doyle. And you were there. I mean, I haven't worked a beat, bro. You're kind of, yeah. I, have, I haven't been on a beat since 2002. I've been just behind <laughs> a mic most of the time. You actually are there looking these guys in the eyes yeah. and getting that feel. And I, I said last year that the Northwestern game, which was game two, was the most important game of the Ferentz era because I felt if he lost that, that it could go, potentially go off the rails. Sure. And, sure. and, and so we're, we're talking about the same thing. And they answered the bell. Okay. They answered the bell. They won six and oh, yeah, it wasn't a great schedule. Yeah, it was a COVID year. But you know what? They're off to a five and oh start this year. So let's not call that a fluke. You're there. You were there when Chris Doyle was there as well. Yeah. And I'd be interested to know if the. The mannerisms, the temperament, the at ease of players now without that drill instructor, uh, you know, type character who was manning the strength and conditioning program. And, you know, he certainly did a really good job of sculpting bodies. And there's a lot of former players that would absolutely take a bullet for him. But I'm just wondering right now, this environment where the players have many players, players of color specifically, have voiced their comfort level being in that facility now that they feel like they can be themselves. Man, that is a we are family type of vibe that this program is putting off right now. And honestly, uh, a year ago, I had my doubts. John, let me ask you this. Could you imagine Kirk Ferentz ever, ever playing swag surfing in the locker room? (laughs) Well, <laughs> no, because I don't even know what that is. Like, exactly. That's my point, though. I'm probably a lot more aligned with Kirk's generation than yours. Yeah. Well, that's my point. It's like you see the, you know, you see the postgame locker celebrations. You see, you know, I, like you said, I think that the comment that stood out to me of any last year, and I think that this is where the biggest difference I've seen, and I, we won't go down this rabbit hole, but I do think it is relevant to leading up to this game. I think Ivory Kelly Martin said it best that – they felt like they were walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. There is a total comfort level now, at least from my vantage point, what I've seen. And, you know, I think everybody's ears are still perked up and the eyebrows are still raised because the reality is the culture can be different, but they are not going to be judged off one year. Brian right. said it, but I think Brian Ferentz said best, actually. It's going to be what's five years from now? What's 10 years from now? Right. What's right. the foundation of Iowa football? So are they taking the right steps? Absolutely. I think that they should be commended for it. Uh, and I, I think that they've been more transparent than than they have in at least especially since I started covering this team. So I, I do think that Kinnick Stadium's gonna be a special place on Saturday. I think without a doubt. We talked about the implications. Well, let's dive into some of this. One this, thing real quick. Don't yeah, don't yeah. lose your thought. I just want to po- you, you brought up Ivory Kelly Martin's name. Yes. I'm so incredibly happy that Kirk is putting him back out there. He sat him down. Uh, late, you know, second half or so of the Colorado State game after the fumbles. But he's put him back out there. Um, Maybe it was the Kent State game. I can't recall which. But that guy is one of the leaders emotionally on this team. And his importance to this particular team right now, given what did transpire last year to this year, is immeasurable. And I can't imagine that 
there isn't anyone in that locker room that is so happy that he got another opportunity because there have been times in the past where that opportunity would have been pulled. But high character guy, so important to this program in the locker room when the coaches aren't there. Yeah. And it's great that he's getting this opportunity. So go go ahead. No, I'll say this too about Ivory. And, you know, I tweeted this out a couple weeks ago when he did have the, I think he had four fumbles in, in four games or three games or whatever it was. A fifth one, I think, was overturned in the Iowa State game. But I had such a high level of respect for him as a person. When he went out and faced the media and he talked to like a bunch of different reporters for 45 minutes, like he had every reason in the world not to want to go out there. I mean, we've seen guys over the years that just decide, I don't want to talk to media today. Very calm, very transparent. Very honest, very self-assessing, went into his you know, rehab he had with his torn ACL, talked mm-hmm. about his fumbles, struggles, and he talked about emerging as a leader, talked about his bond with Liddell Betts. And I, I walked away from that interview just so impressed. And it's one of those things where, you know, you do have to look deeper than the sport. I mean, I, I walked away and I'm like, this dude's going to be a very, very high caliber person in society, whether it be on the football field, coaching or off it. It's, it's such a respect level thing for me. And and I think anybody that did listen to that interview or read stories about him, I think it's pretty clear yep. uh, the caliber of person that he is. So, John, let's dive in this matchup. We've talked about a lot of the implications about this. I mean, again, I think we could go on for hours about that. But Yeah, you and I you and I have the talking thing down. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this, man. The uh, This Penn State team is very intriguing to me. I'll say this. I know everybody wants to talk about the Iowa secondary and how loaded they are and what they've done to take away the ball, man, I'll tell you what, Penn State's secondary is a close second. I mean, they might be up there as far as talent-wise. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. and some of the guys they have on that defense, I mean, that's why I think it's such a big deal for Iowa's offense to find a way to put up 51 points last week. This is a tough, tough, tough Penn State defense. I think it's probably minimum. I know statistically they're top three. I think they're without a doubt a top five, you know, uh, unit in the country they are absolutely loaded Brandon Smith not the Iowa Brandon Smith at middle linebacker and like I said they go four deep in their secondary they have a couple bull, basically bulldogs uh, on the defensive line I mean this is gonna be a very very big test for guys like Mason Richmond for guys like Connor Colby and Nick DeYoung that uh, it's not gonna surprise me if Penn State really tries to get after Spencer Petras and really rattle the Iowa young Iowa offensive line you know And I've watched them play against Wisconsin. I've watched bits and pieces of other games. And the first game of the year is really difficult to draw too many conclusions from. But their offense still looks to me like it's trying to find itself and what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And they've not necessarily been the best offensive line in the last two or three years anyway. Um, But what is consistent and solid and travels with you on the road is a defense. And when you look at their defensive statistical profile nationally and Iowa's defensive statistical profile nationally, it's incredible. Uh, pass, pass efficiency defense, as you pointed out, Penn State's seventh in the country. Iowa's fifth in the country. Scoring defense, Penn State's third. Iowa is second. Turnover margin, Iowa is first. Penn State, 13th. Rushing yep. defense, Penn State, 31st. Iowa is 11th. Total defense, seventh. Iowa 33rd Penn State. So we have two teams with exceptional defenses. We have one team in Penn State that does something better and much better than Iowa does to this juncture, and that's passing the ball. Um, Penn State's passing offense, top 25 nationally. Iowa, not so much, 96 nationally. But that said, Spencer Petras just played his best game in a Hawkeye uniform. He played it on the road in front of a crowd. 
he threw some – I mean, I, I talked about this on my post-game podcast. That play that he threw to Tyler Goodson, that Goodson broke it, you know, made a move and scored on. Yeah. It, a, it was a great play design because it's designed to clear out space in the middle. Goodson made a phenomenal cut. Spencer threw that right on a dime. Spencer threw the ball to Charlie Jones on the time. He, the, same, the same things we saw against Colorado State that made us go, hmm, that's interesting. That, hmm, that, that actually looks like a legitimate quarterback. He did them again. He proved it like in the old game yep. of horse. And he did it on the road. And they've got something they can work with. Brian coming out, attacking. Yeah, I know you talked about it in your podcast. Attacking right off the right out of the shoot with shotgun. Passing on first down. Those are the types of things that I think we're seeing this offense for Iowa in an ascendant mode. And I'm not sitting here saying they're going to be 2002 Iowa anytime soon. They're not going to be. But it's a very, very even game. Iowa's got a fantastic punter. I think Penn State also has uh, a really – Penn State actually has a better punter on average than what Iowa's shown so far this year. So this is one of those games where it's going to come down to turnovers. We all know Iowa's good at it. Which team can be themselves more consistently in this game this is going to win? No, I think you bring up a few good points. And I'll say this. I was talking to, again, Tyler Donahue of our Penn State site. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting looking at this Penn State team because, again, offensively, I still think they have some work to do. I think their offensive line is much better than it was last year. But they're only – you know, their leading rusher is Noah Kane. He has 187 yards. Right. He's averaging 3.2 yards per carry. I know that they got, you know, Kavon Lee, who I think could be a very, very good player. They have Devin Ford. I mean, Sean Clifford's their third leading rusher. There's a bunch of different people that can get the job done. But outside of David Bell – for Purdue, Iowa does. Iowa rarely gets beat by one-dimensional offenses. Mm-hmm. So I think Iowa's biggest goal of this game, obviously Iowa wants to dominate the trenches. That's what they're built off of. In this defensive line, I think you need to give a lot of credit to Kelvin Bell and Jay Neiman because that defensive line, the way they've progressed, they were not supposed to be this far along this early. I think guys like Lucas Van Ness have done a nice job. Uh, Zach Van Valkenburg's been good. And it's very interesting watching Van Ness's progression as well because he played defensive end throughout his entire high school career. He's at about 35, 40 pounds, and he's been very, very good. And I think YA Black's going to be very, very good as well. Then you got guys like John Wagner who are tipping passes at, at a high level right now. But I think if Iowa can basically make Penn State a one-dimensional offense, I think that's going to – best serve Iowa going forward in the game and give them the best chance to win because as good as Sean Clifford is he he has shown that you know he can fall back a little bit and he can let those mistakes pile on I mean I predicted Iowa would win by two touchdowns against Maryland last week because if Talia Tagabaloa threw an early pick Mm -hmm. we saw what happened last year it was a snowball effect and that's exactly what happened again so my my whole point is I think if Iowa can keep Clifford in the pocket and force him to win the game with his arm. I think that's something that Phil Parker and that's something that Iowa, Iowa fans and Kirk Ferentz are going to want to live with. You know, keeping him in the pocket, you're right. And it's just one of those things, one of these little nuances um, from a, a, a Norm Parker defense that Phil has brought over himself is, you know, I don't know if you recall when Denard Robinson was at Michigan. Yes. But, Iowa played him and other quarterbacks that could run like him with a very distinct style and approach. And of course, it all starts with the defensive lineman maintaining gap integrity. 
if you lose gap integrity with Iowa style, you're done. You're going to get gashed. Well, mm-hmm. they did that. But, uh, but whenever the defensive ends could break in and rush the pocket, they would, you could see them stop. They would stop. They would stop pursuing. And they would hold and maintain containment and force Denard Robinson to either run up the middle where they had gap integrity and you're going to get stopped for a loss or try to throw it uncomfortably. And Zach Van Valkenburg, from what I've seen so far this year, he is one of the best in the Ferentz era already at, at shutting down his edge with outside containment, forcing that quarterback back inside, not letting the quarterback get beyond his outside right shoulder, turning him in back into the pocket where there's help. And uh, Clifford is no Denard Robinson as a runner. He's dangerous relative to being able to, you know, drop back. And if you've got four receivers out uh, in space and your linebackers have, you know, taken deep drops and they sunk in, then yeah, he's going to get a first down, but he's not a Denard Robinson runner. So I believe that Iowa has that type of defensive line discipline and mental acumen to handle what Clifford can do. I I don't expect him to get outside the pocket where his runs are going to hurt. Iowa will be, you know, uh, pick up basketball draws, some call, some called draws, but just some making some plays. And it wouldn't surprise me. And, and this is, again, this is an advantage. Iowa wouldn't surprise me if Iowa runs some spy looks on Clifford, keeping a linebacker in and because they've got the horses that can track him down. So I really feel like Iowa, uh, is a horse for this course. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the Kinnick stadium edge and the juice that's in that stadium. That's going to probably carry the day. And I think Penn state is going to blink and make more mistakes than Iowa will. Introducing the two way V4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell. Each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience, maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'll say this, too. I want to talk about the coordinators for just a quick second. I'm very curious what Phil Parker likes to do because Dane Belton, I think, has proven he's going to be an NFL guy. You know, maybe he has a decision to make at the end of this year. Who knows? But Justin Jacobs might be perfect for this entire matchup. He's the mm-hmm. guy who's fast enough yes. to be a quarterback spy, but he's also big enough. You know, Iowa fans might remember Theo Johnson, high four-star you know, tight end that you know, Iowa was a finalist for. He's averaging 22 yards a catch, incredibly fast, great hands, good route runner. He's going to be an all Big Ten tight end by the time his career's over. Mm-hmm. Justin Jacobs is big enough to and fast enough to be able to cover Theo, or at least have an attempt to cover Theo. And, you know, he's also got the speed to, you know, track Sean Clifford. And something that was interesting to me, again, talking to our, our 24-7 sports, Tyler Donahue, he said that Sean Clifford's 40 time is actually faster than Trace McSorley's, which is something that did surprise me because, I mean, we saw what happened with McSorley a couple of years ago um, just when he had that big run that really set things over the, over the edge in Iowa. You knew really was not going to be able to come back. So, uh, again, I think there's so many angles about what Phil Parker can do. Yeah, and I, I'm very curious if he's going to be more aggressive or if he's just going to you know do his right. typical, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to wait, 
just and watch, wait yeah. for Sean Clifford to make a mistake. Well, yeah, it's study the game. Sit back. I mean, a, a lot of Iowa fans, um, and I'm not calling people out. It's human nature. They get really, <laughs> they get really, and I even reacted last week when Tagaviola. You know, I said, dude, he he just was picking apart areas in this zone where Iowa is gettable, but the challenge is doing that three and four more times for touchdown. Yeah. Well, he could yep. not do it. I think that. I think that they're probably – I don't know that they'll blitz early. They, they blitz when they have to um, and when needed. But I, I, I don't think you move Jacobs out of, uh, of pass coverage responsibilities. I, I think Jacobs in this game a lot um, with Belton at safety is the better play. And I, yeah. think, I think Campbell – what I would do – Campbell is the more likely spy because he's got wheels too, as you know. Yeah, he does. And, and, and if, if Clifford is having success beating you on 20-yard crossers and 20-yard deep square ends, I mean 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, behind the linebacker zone but in front of the, the secondary zone, if he's consistently getting chunks like that, okay, then you might not be able to afford to spy or you might have to bring pressure. But I would utilize that spy and utilize Campbell's wheels just to make sure Clifford knows he's got to stay in that pocket. Um, and then it comes down to hoping that you get some pressure uh, from the defensive lineman, because if you can get away with rushing four and getting, even if it's just harassing pressure where Clifford feels uncomfortable, you don't have to get home for the sack all the time, harassing pressure with, with, uh, with Campbell being there as a spy, man, that that's going to be a long day for him. That's something that I think Iowa did very well against Indiana. I thought Michael Penix had a clean pocket most of the day, but it was just yeah. the look that Iowa had. I mean, he felt like the pocket was collapsing when it actually wasn't collapsing. Yep. I like what you said about Campbell keeping him as a spy. And, you know, it's it's crazy to watch the way he's developed. I remember I watched him in the uh, state playoffs when he was a senior, 195 pounds soaking wet maybe at the time. I saw him have 11 tackles, I think, in the first quarter. And I said, I don't know how this dude doesn't have 15 offers. I mean, he the amount of attention he should have gotten in the recruiting process is absolutely ridiculous. But I'll say this, too, going back to the Penn State offense, this is another point I wanted to hit. Man, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz is exactly right. But I'll put this in more blunt terms. Jihad Dotson has the capabilities to absolutely hurt Iowa. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you dream up of a receiver that's not David Bell – that has the potential to absolutely really give this secondary problems. It's Jihad Dotson. I mean, he is. An, I think he's the best receiver in the Big Ten. I know people talk about Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, but Jihad Dotson. You know, even as you know, I, I won't even get in the return game, and he's a great returner as well. But those deep crossing routes is, is going to be something that I think Penn State's going to attack. I think if you look back at the film last week against Maryland, you know, Dante Demas Jr. You know, by the way, great player. I feel horrible for his injury. Hopefully he comes back 100% because he's a great talent. But he had four catches for 64 yards early in that one. And he was beating Iowa with the same play, the deep crossing route. And if, you know, the safeties can't read that and they don't jump on it enough, like you said, that's one of those gettable zones that Penn State might have. And that's something where I'm looking at the matchup, I'm looking at the schematics, and that's something, you know, that is near the top of my list that, really could give Iowa struggles. And if they get confident early, I think the best thing for Iowa to do in this one, don't let them get confident early because then they know they can go in and do what they want. But with that being said, I think you need to give Phil Parker and his team a lot of credit because 
when is Iowa really faltered in back-to-back drives? They may allow a score early or, you know, allow a score throughout the game, but they have come back and gotten turnovers, three and outs, and they come out looking like a totally different team after they allow a touchdown. And I think yeah. that's something that can't be overstayed going into this one. It's, it's like when you work out, you know, you want to get that sweat going. And that's kind of what Iowa does. It's this little rope-a-dope, you know, you feel each other out. Okay, congratulations. I'd be shocked if Iowa opened up in the four three. I think they'll open up in their four two five. Yep. I and, and and see just to test, see if the fence is hot, see how the four two five handles the run, because with Dotson and the danger that he is, having that extra defensive back type on the field, to where you have Merriweather and Belton, that is a more positive outcome to try and limit Dotson's production because Dotson's going to be doing a lot of drags underneath across the middle yep. and, and really against Iowa's don't, that's an area that, you know, Northwestern in the past when they actually have a quarterback that, you know, you got to be patient, but those are the areas of the zone that are gettable for Iowa. It's not really those vertical shots that you're going to see. So I think Iowa opens up in their cash formation just to see, if the front six in this instance, um, you know, the two linebackers and the four down can stand up to the rush. And if they can, if they can mitigate the rush, then they probably will stay in that cash more often. But if, if the Penn State running game is starting to give them fits, that's when you'll see Jacobs come in. You drop Belton back to safety. And that's when if I'm Penn State, I step on the gas, getting the, get the ball uh, to number five as much as I can. So let me let me flip this over to Brian Ferentz real quick. Obviously, a very popular talking point might be an understatement, but you know people might not like this comparison, John. But I'm curious about your thoughts about this. I, I thought Brian Ferentz last week called one of his best games as the Iowa offense coordinator, spraying the ball around, getting the ball to playmakers in space. The, I love the bootleg action that he had with you know Sam Laporta, the play action bootleg that got Iowa three first downs in itself. Uh, you know, like you said, that long pass play at Tyler Goodson, I thought was great. I thought opening up in the shotgun and really trying to fire it downfield a little bit and push the envelope was a good thing. Like Iowa didn't score on their opening drive, but, you know, looking at that game at that point, I remember I turned over to, you know, Sean, Sean Bach. And I said, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about Iowa's offense today because you just had a good feeling like, okay, they showed something different and that's absolutely going to play a factor later. I mean, Obviously, the turnover is the story of that game, but I thought I don't think Brian Ferentz really had what one bad call all game. I mean, I really love the way he he called that game. But where I'm getting at with this, John, is I, he's had a couple of those throughout his career. But the one I'm pointing to, we'll go back to that 55-24 game against Ohio State. I thought that was a great play calling game at that time as well by Brian. But what happened the next week? Mm-hmm. with the Wisconsin game can Brian and can Spencer Petrus and everybody continue to build off the momentum that they've built against Maryland I mean look with all due respect to Maryland the way they started I I thought that was I couldn't believe how many people picked Maryland because if you looked at who they played it really they, they did what they were supposed to do and obviously they had some talent but their statistics were skewed and you know, I've always been a proponent of you throw out the first game. Like the, the first game, right. obviously, it's going to be important to win, but there no team's going to be where they were at the first game of the year. I mean, otherwise, Iowa should have just ended the 2009 season after they barely beat you and I, right? The back-to-back block field goals. So 
where I'm getting at with this is can Iowa build off that momentum and can Brian stay within himself, but also draw up some creativity because I'm very, again, I'm very curious what Iowa is going to do. And I think this is something that Iowa is going to explore. How right. tricky are they going to get? Are they going to rely on their strengths? Or are they really going to break out the playbook like they did last week? I mean, John, I'll be, I, I'll be surprised if we don't see some wildcat this week because they have really kept that under wraps. And I think a perfect week to maybe bring that back is against this Penn State team because, again, do you rely on the strengths to go up against this caliber of a defense or do you really try to throw some wrinkles and throw just everything against the wall and see what sticks against this team? Yeah, if you bring the Wildcat back at some point in time, you're going to need to throw it. Um, And you're also going to need to give the handoff to the uh, first running back just so everybody's not keen that Tyler, it's going to basically be like an old single wing and it's just an extra blocker back there. So to me, the Wildcats, I mean, yeah. Um, and t- until you actually make people prepare for more than just one thing. And, and maybe this is the week. Maybe this is the last two years of showing these looks. And maybe this is the week that Goodson actually throws it. That's what I would be interested in the Wildcat in, not really anything else. And, and relative to, you know, Brian, the Ohio State game plan versus the Wisconsin game plan, I'm sure that he'd love to have Hawkinson and Fant on his team this year. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, dude, why did you keep doing that? But, you know, the older I get, the more I sit back and realize how much there is that I don't know about football, I can, you know, we all can smell a stinker play when we, when we see one, you know, yep. but we don't know what every person's role or responsibility on that play was. We don't, we just see, Oh, this was a dumb play or, Oh, I wouldn't have run that. That didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? Didn't it work because did it not work because it was a bad call for the time and position on the field? Or did it not work because one lineman blew his assignment or the receiver ran an eight yard route instead of a instead of a uh, 13 yard route? So there's so much about and there's just there's just so much nuance to the sport. And we can't possibly uh, as fans and, and media members, we can't possibly know it all because we're not experts at it. We know a little. So it's difficult for me, the older I get to want to rail and criticize on, Oh, that was a great game play calls. Those were, that was just his best game. And that was a bad, listen, the, the Wisconsin game was bad. And Brian's as much admitted. And I think on Chad Lysico's podcast, the yep. that he did with Brian, which was a, which was an epic. Um, but I, I think that, I think Brian just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think keep giving Spencer the opportunity to, you know, take some shots downfield. The biggest thing for this Iowa offense is taking those shots downfield on the outside. Those are the safe areas. The middle is a little bit more dicey, and I know fans get frustrated when there's overthrows in the middle, but that's what you you want one of two things to happen. You either hit a guy on stride in the middle, or you overthrow it so the defender can't get it and a tip ball can't be intercepted, or you get a penalty. That's Those are your options there. So I think just kind of keep doing the same type of attack you saw against Maryland. Yes. And I, I, you talked about momentum, and momentum to me is difficult week to week because, you know, they're on the bus, they're back in the plane, they're back home. But the momentum that I think carries forward is when you have a successful week like last week, and Spencer did, and a lot of players did, the offensive line really did, is that mental momentum. You just made several deposits in the positive memory bank that, you know what, I can do this. Spencer's had back-to-back weeks now where he's had a great deal of success with his deep balls. 
And that's the type of momentum that can carry forward. He's done his 10,000 reps. He knows the playbook in and out. He knows what to expect. Now he's had positive experiences actually executing out on the field. That type of mental momentum, I think, is what carries over. So if I'm Brian, I keep feeding that with Spencer. I keep doing what I did. I don't know that I have, you have to get too crazy. Um, but, yeah, Wildcat, give me a throw every now and then. Yeah, I agree with that. But I'll say this, too. Uh, and then I want to take some questions from some people. Again, uh, by the way, uh, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 Sports, HawkeyePodcast.com, John Miller. John does an absolutely tremendous job uh, just recapping and getting in – a lot of the analytical side and schematic side on his podcast. I'm, I'm a definite listener of it. So if you haven't checked that out, please, please, please be sure to do that. You will learn more about the game of football and everything else at a very, very high level. So we won't get some predictions real quick. I do want to open it up to some questions. I know I have a few on my Twitter timeline. I really don't want to go through and let people just chat because there's so many people in here. I'm, I'm shocked by how many people are in here. We've had about, you know, 350 listeners consistently. We were up at about 450 at one point. So thanks everybody for that. Uh, if you guys like it, I'll definitely keep doing this. Uh, but John, something that stood out to me in the early questions, I got to get back to this, but I mean, how many points do you think Iowa needs to win? I mean, that's a question I'm, I keep coming back to as well, because is this going to be a game where it won't be a shootout, but is it going to be a game where there's 16 total punts? Is it going to be a fluke play? Is it going to be an Adrian Claiborne style blocked punt return for touchdown. I mean, I, I'm still not settled in on a final score, but I'm also not settled in on a definitive number that Iowa needs to get to. I think they need to win the turnover battle, typical Iowa football. I think Spencer Petrus needs a clean pocket. And I don't want to hear any more. I said this on my podcast repeatedly. I don't want to hear any more about benching Spencer. I thought the whole argument was pretty stupid from the start, but there's no reason, especially I think what he's done this season that, ever even remotely deserves uh, that he should be benched. And I think you talk about the deep passes that his, I think everybody got so far entrenched into blaming Spencer that they lost sight of potential other issues. Cause like you said, there are so many plays running plays, even that could potentially work, but there's a missed tight end block. Maybe Monty Potabon misses that edge block. We saw that a couple of times where Goodson, I think could have ripped it off for a few more yards as well. Uh, does an offensive lineman pick up his responsibilities? Does Tyler Goodson hit the gap? Does the receiver run the right route? I mean, there's so many different things about that. But where I'm getting at with this is the biggest issue I believe the Iowa offense has had up to this point, it's the, it's the offensive line. For as great as Tyler Linderbaum has played, I think Kyler's shot coming back is absolutely massive. But with all due respect to Spencer, He's not going to be a guy that can get out of the pocket, reset his feet, and throw a deep ball, which I think a lot of people want to see because it's a sexy play. Iowa offense is not sexy. It's not meant to be sexy. It's it's built to take advantage <laughs> of the opportunities that they've been given and to just physically wear down the opponents. But, again, if you look at the reps and you go to pro football focus, when Spencer Petras has been given a clean pocket, I don't think there should be any more questions about if he can put the ball in the money because he had the one interception – on that botch screenplay, I think it was. I thought that was a bad call. It was just a very weird play. Right. I think you talk about the stinker plays, that's the stinker play, right? But how many throws does he had downfield that you're like, ooh, you know, that should have been picked off? Last year, he had about three or four a game. This year, I can't think of any at the top of my head. Yeah, there's not been many. And I've said this on my podcast several times. Um, I, I like watching a quarterback's feet first 
yep. and how he sets himself up. If you get that base beneath you before you throw it and you have a clean pocket, your good tool quarterbacks are going to be successful. Spencer is that. He's a good tool quarterback. Now, granted, he needs to have better pocket presence, but I'm talking about when he gets back in his drop and he does that last little hop that quarterbacks do to collect themselves, to get their balance, and then he delivers, he's not really winding up to deliver. His touch on some of these throws is exquisite. And it's yeah. down, it, it is sexy. It's sexy for football. <laughs> it's just that back foot when he has that base under him. You, I can tell when he is going to have a successful passing play. And by successful, I mean in the area where the receiver can catch it and it can't be intercepted. I can tell when he, how he releases it. I know you can just see it. And it's like 90% of the time this year, I was with my dad watching the uh, Iowa, uh, the Iowa, Iowa state game. I was sitting at his house in Washington, watching that with him. And right when he released the ball that was intended for Charlie Jones, which I didn't know who it was for at that time. Cause I was watching on TV. I said, well, that's probably a touchdown because you, you can just see, you can see the fluidity and you can see the fundamentals at work. And um, yeah, I, I, there's there's no more reason to say bring in the backup and he's the guy um but i understand folks and and listen i wasn't thrilled either spencer just needs to slow the hell down and try a little easier i'm hoping what we've seen the last two weeks is the beginning of that maturation process if it is and iowa can win this game which i think that they will i think you're talking about a team that's going to indianapolis This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I mean, John, I think at this point, if Nebraska is the second best team in they the West, Iowa, Iowa damn well better get to Indianapolis. <laughs> let's be real about let's be, <laughs> right. let's just be blunt about that. Right. Um, let's do some rapid fire here. Yeah, I've got a hard stop. I got a hard stop at nine. Um, I, there's been too many years that I've taken away from my wife. So nine o'clock five-minute shower, then Ted Lasso. So let's go. Let's do it. So I was going to say that was about the stopping point I was thinking of. Just we'll get through as many of these as possible. Brandon Walker wants us to talk about this. I knew he was going to ask this too. Best team all time at Iowa, 2002, 04, 85, 15. And you did put in 2021, but I think that's a little bit premature. John, I, I think you and I are in agreement here, 2002. Unless you go back yeah, to 85 it, team. It, it, it's 2002, and the 85 team is one that's close to my heart. I was 14 years old. They will forever be um, in, in my – just literally in my heart, the fandom of my heart. But 2002 beats that team by 10 points. Brad Banks, Dallas Clark, Bob Sanders. I mean, you go, you go down the list. It, it, it starts and ends with the offensive line. Oh, by the way, it was a defense that gave up, I think, 82 to 83 yards rushing a game. That yeah. 2002 defense is the best since the 1981 defense. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting factoid too. I believe I was seven years old at that time. So yeah, uh, 
Uh, I did ask this, but I think I got sidetracked in my own commentary. How many points does Iowa need to win on Saturday? I, I'm thinking 20 and win the turnover battle. Yeah, I, I think 20 gets it done. I've said 27-17. Um, it just came to me today. So I, I shared that little, you know, maybe it's a, a – I don't know what it is. It just came out. But, yeah, I think 20 wins it. Uh, do you think Iowa gets a recruiting or a program boot? Do they get a – I okay, let me restart here. I can't talk. Do you think Iowa got a recruiting or program boost after the 2015 season? What do you think could be the impact of a New Year's Six Bowl uh, this year? I mean, John, I think without a doubt, I think a win against Penn State puts Iowa, on, again, the ripple effect on the map. And, you know, at the end of the day, what's the one thing that sells in recruiting? Wins. Yeah, wins, wins draws talented players. And the reality is if Iowa starts off 2023 strong, let's say – let's say like you know they get a four or five star commit in the 2023 class early it goes back to my philosophy as well dudes recruit dudes if mm-hmm. other dudes see big time players go to a certain program they're going to be given another look i won't go down the eno benjamin saga i know that's what a lot of people allude to but if you look at that recruiting class and the potential that they could have had if everything had panned out the way that you know some people did think it was going to pan out I mean, you talk about that's an outstanding recruiting class. Iowa's fresh off their, I think, the most wins in a five-year span in school history. While they had the 24th-ranked recruiting class in the 24, you know, in last season's uh, recruiting rankings, a top 25 recruiting class with what Iowa typically does development-wise, right. that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. The interesting thing, as I mentioned earlier, how I had Wisconsin's advance the brand envy, they still really never spiked in national recruiting. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that Iowa is going to go from, you know, 25 to 35 in the nation up to top five in the nation. But I think that they could get into the 15 to 25 consistently. And if they get that type of talent, as long as that talent's willing to work hard. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't expect Xavier Wampa to you know commit right after the game. But these kids from in-state like he and Proctor, you know, you start looking at Ohio State and everybody else because you want to go to the NFL. Every single one of these kids thinks they're going to the NFL and you want to play for championships. If Iowa can show that they can make it to the college football playoff, that means that you can accomplish all of those things because Iowa's also an NFL factory. You can accomplish those things two hours from home if you're from Southeast Polk yep. or right next door. That's why it's this season is so big because I also think things are set up exceptionally well for next season. I do too, especially with how many, if depending on how many people return and the talent that they have. I mean, you know, I the think offensive line be, would be great. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this: I'm not convinced Linderbaum leaves. I'm still not, and he's been pretty open about that too. I mean, when you talk about not even thinking about going to the yeah. NFL, yeah. He, no, Grant, I think it's going to be a T.J. Hawkinson situation. His stock's going to be too high. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson, I don't think, really wanted to go. But if you're a projected top 10 pick, I mean, you go take the money every yeah, single time. No matter you're what right. I, I agree with you. But I also think your read is correct. I, I, I have not spoken to his parents about this. OK, so what I'm about to say has nothing to do. I have not spoken. I've, I've exchanged a few pleasantries on Facebook. I, I stay away from things like this. Went to high school with his mom. Played high school sports against his dad. Um, and they, uh, his, his grandpa 
you know, was one of my football coaches, I think even in junior high, maybe, but certainly freshman, sophomore at West Branch. So they're just down to earth, good old American people that, you know what, for him, getting a Lloyd's of London insurance policy, probably have to twist his arm even to do that. But I could see him saying, okay, I'll get an insurance policy next year. I want to come back. Wouldn't surprise me in the least. Now, I don't expect it, but wouldn't surprise me. And I'll say this. I'll go back to his interview that he talked to us when he was asked about if he was going to go to the NFL or why he'd even consider it. And he said, I love it here. Uh, It's I I love my teammates. I love being close to home. I love this. And he said, you know, I'm going to be back this year. And then he said he added on potentially next. And that's something, again, (laughs) keep in the back of your head. I mean, that absolutely blow my mind because, again, I think he's a top 15 pick. And if you're a center getting first round draft grades, I mean, that's that's absolutely uh, insane to me. So a couple more here. How big is the field position game uh, with this Iowa team as opposed Mm -hmm. to past seasons? There's a shortened field. Is that what makes Iowa an easy target for the offense isn't sexy crap, which is funny that I used that phrase earlier and I didn't even see this question. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John, I'll let you run with it. I, I think, think about partially, this. Yes. But Iowa's <laughs> offense has just been opportunistic. Yeah. Think about this. Iowa's offense. The other day, they didn't crack. what I don't know how many yards they had. Was it three something? I, I can't remember for sure. I thought they had over 400. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, you're right. So I think it was barely over four, but they had 14 drives. Iowa's average starting field position on those 14 drives was the, it's 45 yard line. Yep. They couldn't gain a lot of yards. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So you mentioned also Iowa didn't score points on that first drive, but they moved the ball. And that is going to be enormous in this game. If we think 20 points can win it, you don't have to score points all the time, but you need to mitigate and minimize your three and outs. I mean, remember, Iowa scored in nine straight drives as well. And, you know, my whole thing is, you know, everybody talks about the offense isn't sexy. Do they have a lot of room to improve? Absolutely. But the yardage is skewed. Iowa, 25% on, on, on 25% of the drives this year, John, they've started in opposing territory. You're not going to gain yards like that. But the points off the turnovers and being opportunistic, that's what makes Iowa's offense sexy. And I think that's something that yep. people need to take into account for. Uh, I think I had one more here. The, de- the, you, uh... the, the defense is leave your spouse sexy. There's no doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just saw, you know, again, not advising that heads. They were going back and forth about which defense is better, Georgia's or and Iowa's. So, again, I think yeah. Iowa's defense is getting the attention that people want. But the reality is, if you want to shut up all the outside noise, which, again, I the players and Kirk, they don't give a crap about. They don't give a shit what the rankings are at this right. point. Win the game, everything else comes. Because the one thing people can talk about, poke hole, you know, people poke holes in every argument, but there's one thing they can't poke holes in. It's a win or loss. Did they win the football game? So, I mean, that, that, at the end of the day, that's what's going to uh, take new, basically just take into advantage. So, uh, another one, then I'll let you get out of here, John. I'll, then I'll have you give your uh, keys to the game, then I'll let you get out of here. But special teams, is that an advantage for Iowa in this game? I certainly don't think so, but that's because I think Penn State's special teams is extraordinary. But I also think Iowa's special teams has been extraordinary this year. Charlie Jones has been fantastic. He's the best putt return I always had since Tim Dwight. Um, I think that uh, punting is a push, and Iowa does, I think, have a more accurate and strong leg kicker and accurate from distance. Yeah. So that certainly is helpful. Um, but I, I think it comes down to, you know, Penn State went to Wisconsin and won. 
Madison is a raucous environment. It was the first game of the season. A lot of things going on there. Penn State's offense looked like crap. Wisconsin can still play defense. I just wonder if Clifford is big enough for this moment. The same way that I wondered if Petrus was big enough for the moment at Iowa State. But thankfully, the defense did a lot of the lifting that day. Is Clifford big enough? I just think Clifford's going to make more mistakes, and I think the crowd is going to be insane. Folks, we, we all know what we've just lived through the last 18 months. We all know how trying some of those things have been. It's different for everyone. And yes, there's been a couple of home games this year, but Iowa fans have not had a chance to party like this for a long time, and they know they can impact the game. So I think Kinnick's going to be the difference, and that's why I think Iowa wins this one. I think Clifford's going to pee all over himself. John Miller, HawkeyePodcast.com has covered the, the Hawkeyes for I, – I mean, I don't even know how long you covered the Hawkeyes, John. 99. So, it, uh, yeah, he does great stuff over at HawkeyePodcast.com. Be sure to check him out. Follow him at Hawkeye Podcast. John, I know you and I have talked about having an Iowa discussion for quite some time. I'm, I'm very happy that we finally had it. And uh, have fun watching Ted Lasso. Hope all things are well. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Well, thanks for having me on. I, like I said before, I, I really uh, – uh, it's not easy to break in, man. It's not easy to break in. And you and Sean have not only broken in, you're in. So uh, it's uh, it's good to see you out there. And take care. All right, take care, man. Appreciate it. All right, bye-bye.